Good morning, True North Church. How are we doing this morning? Good. I am excited to be here. We are continuing this series called Blood and Water. And uh, in this chapter this week in Exodus 5, we are transitioning into the next phase of Exodus. Uh, This is like the ultimate showdown, okay? God and Pharaoh have been battling with each other for a while now, and now we get to the showdown. So uh, it's going to be exciting. Exodus 5 starts off with these words, afterwards, okay, afterwards. So I want to remind you of what we just came out of, okay? We kind of got Moses's origin story, okay? And uh, we see him like struggling with his calling. We see him battling with what God has called him to do because God has called him to go up against the greatest most powerful man in the world in that time, okay, the Pharaoh. And uh, we see him struggle with this. We see God give him signs and wonders, and Aaron uh, is given to him to help him, okay? So Aaron is there. He's like his, uh, his uh, I don't know, his, I don't know, like his Robin to Batman. That's kind of what Aaron is to him. And then he gets his signs, and they go to the elders. They show the elders these signs, and they get excited. They get pumped because they see the reconciliation coming, okay? They can see that the end of the slavery is coming, so they get excited and they get pumped. It kind of reminds me of my high school athletic career, okay? I know some of you might laugh. Uh, I did play basketball for the Trinity Classical Titans, okay? Trinity Classical Titans is a small private Christian school in northeast Georgia, and we had the most coolest pre-game warm-up, and then uh, locker room speech. I'm just kidding. It was very modest, okay? It was like the most modest pre-game show, uh, most pre-game warm-up, and then a speech during uh, the locker room before the game. And we would get excited. Our coach would come in. Uh, he'd give us a speech. We'd just get pumped. And honestly, it was very modest. But uh, here's, the, here, here's the thing. We would get so excited. We would go out. We'd get ready, ready to face our enemies. And um, I will never forget this one time, because we'd go out, we'd think, this is it, we're going to win today. And this one time, uh, we drove to North Carolina. Okay, so being a small private Christian school in northeast Georgia, we would have to drive far sometimes, and then this time in particular, we drove to North Carolina. And I don't know if you know anything about the southeast. If you go into North Carolina to play a basketball game, uh, you're not setting yourself up for victory. Okay, so this one time we go, uh, we do the locker room thing, we do the pre-game speech, we get all excited, and we go out, we're like running onto the court, we're excited, we think that maybe this is the one time we'll win, and we're running, and our run slowly turns into a jog, and it slowly turns into a walk, and some of my teammates start to turn back. And uh, for the, in this time in particular, I walk up, I'm doing the tip-off, I don't know what, why coach chose this, I think it's just he knew what was about to happen. So I walk up to the circle where I'm about to do the tip up, and I'm looking straight forward, and I see the guy's waist, okay? And then I slowly look up. So I don't know if that tells you anything about North Carolina, but we lost that day, okay? And I slowly learned that this premature excitement that we had was smashed by these increasingly difficult odds, okay? And that story, okay, from my life is what this story of the Israelites reminds me of. So we are in Exodus 5 uh, today. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, verses 1 through 23, and I just want you to join me there. 
It says this, Afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you may make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people who were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw, the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So I want to pause right here. They remove, Pharaoh says, remove the straw, okay? We're going to take the straw away from them. That straw would help these stones, uh, these clay stones that they would make. Uh, it would actually... Uh, lengthen the amount of time it took for those stones to dry, which is pretty crazy because he does that, but he keeps the uh, same deadline for these Israelites. So what he's doing here is he's making it pretty much impossible for these Israelites to meet their deadline because he's slowing them down, and that's what the Israelites are facing here. Back to verse 15, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So here we see the Israelites start to turn. They are giving up. They were excited. They were pumped up. They saw their salvation coming. And now they have given up. And I love what they say. They say, You have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And now Moses turns in 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You see, these Israelites experience something that I experienced. Okay, I lost modestly. Uh, these Israelites, they go out there excited because they think they, they see their victory, and they do not receive it at all. Okay, the Israelites' excitement for the Lord's fulfillment of his promises was smashed by their increasingly difficult odds. 
The delay of the Lord's fulfillment of his promises was enough to show the hearts of his people. So that being said, I want you to write down the big point for today, and it's this. As we wait, God reveals our hearts. It's pretty powerful. As we wait, God reveals our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for uh, this time here at True North as we look at Exodus 5. I just pray that we consider where we're waiting today, God. We consider what you're revealing to us as we wait. Uh, we are all waiting for something. And I just pray that we be humble, that we see what you're revealing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today what we're going to do is I want us to look at three different types of hearts because I believe that in this story, God is revealing three different types of hearts of the people in this story. And I'm going to have a format that I use, okay? First, I want to show you what each of these hearts show, okay? What do each, each of these types of hearts show? Uh, talk about what each of these hearts glorify, okay? I'm going to talk about how they each approach this question, who is this Yahweh, Okay, I think this, is, this question is like the main point for today. And then later in the service, I will give you what each of these must remember because God offers reconciliation for every heart. So we will get there in just, in just a minute. We're gonna actually start today with Pharaoh's heart. Okay, he, I've titled his heart the oppressive heart. And this is what you have to understand about him. He shows no respect. Okay, he shows no respect. He starts by showing no respect to the Israelites. I want you to think about this. He purposefully, intentionally made their burdens harder. He even says it. He says, make the work harder in verse 9. He says it. And he removes the straw. He makes their work pretty much impossible to fulfill. He slows them down and just reinforces the deadline. So he shows no respect to those people who serve him. He also shows no respect to the Lord. I find it so interesting because Pharaoh acknowledges that the Lord has a voice. Did you catch that? He acknowledges this. And Pharaoh, once again, he's like this God to the Egyptians. He is a God. And to hear that another God was speaking, that there was another God with a voice, this would have been pretty uh, interesting to him because he was one of many gods, okay? There are other Egyptian gods, and none of the other gods had a voice, so I want you to think about this too. Uh, Pharaoh, he's probably the most powerful God because he's the only God with a voice. And in this moment, Moses says, my God spoke to me. Okay, and he acknowledges that. He's willing to accept that because he knows that God can have a voice. Okay, but he shows him no respect after that. He acknowledges it, but he doesn't do anything with it. And this is why he glorifies himself. Anybody with an oppressive heart glorifies themselves. And we see this. He does this with the identity. He was a god, okay? Uh, he was said to be the children of the sun. They were friends to the greatest gods of Egypt, these pharaohs. And they sat in their own temples and received worship alongside of them. So think about this. He never had to worship anybody, but he always received worship. He never had to serve anybody, Okay, but he was always served. This was who he was. He spent his life glorifying himself. And we also see that there is this battle between his word and God's word. As we look through the story, I just want you to notice anytime it mentions the Lord's word, he immediately interrupts, he interjects, he brings up his word. And we just see all throughout Exodus that there is this constant battle between what Pharaoh says and what God says. I want you to notice this too, though. 
He's the one who asked this question, who is this Yahweh? Okay, he has an oppressive heart. He is so far away from having this relationship with God. But even he, Pharaoh, has to approach this question. He doesn't answer it. He shows it no respect. But it is a question that he has to answer. And he, in fact, says, I do not know this God. That's his answer. And uh, we see that this, uh, this word here, the Lord, actually translates to the word Yahweh. Okay, anytime you see Lord in all caps in this passage, it's referencing Yahweh. It's the name that Moses was given in Exodus 3. So it's interesting because this Egyptian God, this Yahweh, was mentioned before. They knew about this God. Okay, we know about the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph helped uh, Egypt through a time of famine. Uh, Joseph introduced them to this God who could provide. So they knew about him, and it's been 400 years, and they have completely forgotten about this God. Okay, and I believe that there is a reason for this. I believe that it's because God's people had sat idle. They were not worshiping their God. They, in fact, themselves have forgotten this God. And it's just an indicator that the Israelites had become hollow. So this is the next heart I want us to look at, the hollow heart. Okay, the hollow heart shows idleness. Okay, make sure you pay attention to the spelling there. This idleness is laziness. Okay, do not get this confused with verse 15, uh, 17 where Pharaoh accuses them of being idle. The idleness I'm talking about is a little bit different. Pharaoh accuses them in verse 17 of being idle, but this idleness that he's talking about is a little bit different. He's accusing them of being physically idle, which is just insane to me. Okay, I don't know if you've seen the pyramids. Okay, each stone weighed like 2.5 tons. That was like 10 of me or like five of those North Carolina players stacked on top of each other. That's how much these things weighed. And these stones, these uh, Israelites had to move these. So for Pharaoh to look at them and say, hey, you are idle, you are lazy, that is just insane to me because they moved blocks, they moved objects that I can't even fathom moving. Okay, so he accuses them of this, but this isn't the laziness that I'm talking about right now, this idleness. This idleness I am talking about is idleness of the heart. Okay, their hearts have become hollow. I think of this tree whenever I hike Thunderbird Falls, okay? I don't know if you've done this hike. Uh, you get down to the river, and you're walking along the side of the riverbed, and there's this tree, and you can, like, climb into it because it's so completely hollow. I like to, like, jump out and scare people as they walk by. It's fun. Uh, one person screamed bear once. It was really funny. But that's what I like to use this tree for, okay? It's completely hollow, and it's so interesting because there is nothing inside of it. It lacks substance. And that's what I think of when I think of this hollow heart. There is nothing there. These slaves have been slaves for so long that their hearts have just become hollow. They have given up. They show idleness. They have no trust for God. And as a result, they glorify their circumstances. They glorify whatever, whoever was oppressing them. The Israelites describe themselves to Pharaoh as his servants or worshipers. That's how they see themselves. In Exodus 5, 15 through 16, I want you to see this. See how many times they say, we are your servants. Uh, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants that they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Three times in this passage they say, hey, we are your servants, Pharaoh. We serve you. 
And they get here, they get to this point because their hearts are hollow. They have given up on God. They are glorifying their circumstances. And as a result of this, they devalue. They devalue this question, who is this Yahweh? The most important question we can answer ourselves, who is Jesus? They devalue, devalue this question because they are asking other questions. They are asking, when will we, we be free from this? They are asking, will our slavery ever end? Okay, they are so much more interested in their, more, their own freedom that they forget to consider who God is. God's people need to know who the Lord is, and that's why things get harder before they get better. That's, and we find them in a survival mode. And then we get to the disciples' heart, okay? I believe that the disciples' heart represents Moses. Okay, Moses, I want you to catch this. When things get bad, the Israelites go to people and talk to people. Uh, Moses, as a disciple, as somebody who's learning to trust in Jesus, he goes straight to God and talks to God. I want you to catch that difference because it's so easy here to look at Moses and just see him give up, but he has a disciple's heart. He has this relationship with Jesus, Okay, he goes straight to God, and we see him show anger and frustration. And we'll find this in Exodus 5, through 23. It says this, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You see, we see him showing anger and frustration in this moment because he is glorifying the reconciliation. He is, he's chosen to focus on the salvation and not the Savior. He has forgotten God's word. Okay? We actually see God in Exodus 3.19 say, a mighty hand is going to compel Pharaoh. I don't know where along the way Moses got confused and thought maybe I can be the one who compels him. Okay, but this wasn't enough. God is saying, hey, you're going to have to wait. And as you wait, I am revealing your heart. Okay? And as a result, he answers this question, who is this Yahweh? He answers it. Okay, we all do that. If we're a disciple of Christ, if we have that relationship with him, we have answered this question. And in this moment, okay, he has answered correctly before, but in this moment, he is answering wrongly. He, he answers the question, what does God's name mean? He says it means trouble. God has only caused more chaos for us. He has only made things more difficult. And we have moments like that. The final person I want us to look at, okay, it's the heart of the Lord, okay? Because the heart of the Lord, he shows our hearts. He shows the hearts of his people. Once again, the delay in the fulfillment of God's promises reveals his people's hearts. And our complaint displays that we don't completely know the Lord yet. We're still getting to know him. He glorifies his willingness to intervene. I want you to contrast God to Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh, whenever the plagues come, Pharaoh cares nothing for his people. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't care. Pharaoh doesn't care at all. Yet God, he intervenes. He's willing to inhabit the suffering of his people. Jesus came to earth. He came in human form, and he experienced our suffering. In fact, he allows things to get worse sometimes because he does intervene. He does intervene. And here's what's so cool. God for us answers this question, who is this Yahweh? He doesn't allow the most important question that we can ask to remain idle. 
he answers it. And I believe this is the point of chapter 5. This question is proposed, who is this Yahweh? And, and God answers this question in chapter 6, and for the rest of Exodus, he is answering this question, who is this Yahweh? There is an answer. He doesn't let this question remain idle. It is so important to him that we have the answer to this question, and he provides reconciliation through it. So what do we do with this? Because God answers the question. He reveals our hearts, and he answers. For each heart, for each type of heart I presented, first of all, the disciple, he remembers God's word. The disciple needs to remember God's word. That's where we see our reconciliation. God has given his word, and we have to trust it. In this moment with Moses, we see him uh, lack trust. We see him doubt, and that's why he shows his anger and his frustration. We have to remember God's word, and it's so important important to note that God does allow our emotions. Okay, Moses acts out emotionally here. He's angry and frustrated. God allows our emotion because our emotion reveals our hearts. It points to the part of us that he's going to reconcile. For the hollow, we have to remember God's action. We have to remember what God has done, okay? Because it's God's action that motivates us to move. And for the hollow heart, for the heart that has just become empty, idle, lazy, we have to remember that God did act. And by remembering that God did act, that he did save us, he provided salvation, we get to step forward, we get to move forward. We also can't allow other people's actions, oppressive people, I don't know, we can't allow other people's actions to define our situation. If, you're, if you have this hollow heart, you've glorified your circumstances and you, you have declared them more powerful than the Lord. So it's just stop sitting in this. The only circumstance that matters is that Jesus came and died for us. He died for every type of heart. For the oppressor, we have to remember God's warning, okay? And it's hard to talk to the oppressor because you probably don't believe you are one. We might have oppressive tendencies that we need to pay attention to. We have to remember God's warning, okay? And we know this is wrath content to follow, but he always provides a warning. Will you listen to it? And his warning is most of the time this, just humble yourself. Stop putting yourself on the pedestal. Remember my warning. Remember who I am. Allow God's word to dictate your life. If you do not know the Lord, then you will not trust him. You cannot work out what he is doing if you do not know him. We have to trust his plans. So as you can see, for each of these hearts, reconciliation is available. And we see this in the lives of so many people. Okay, we might have different pieces of each types of this heart in our lives. We see this type of heart in so many characters in the Bible. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the disciples. And the reconciliation always begins with this question. And I just want to go back to this. It's the most important question today. Who is this Yahweh? We see the disciples approach this question in Luke 9, 18 through 20. If you want to join me there. It says this, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and they asked him, Who do the crowd say that, the, that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter answered, The Christ of God. 
The Christ of God translates to God's Messiah. The Messiah, the one who has come to save us. Peter believed it. Peter believed that Jesus was the one who could save him. You see, I believe that the main point of this uh, passage today, Exodus 5, it's really that the answer to this question is so important. Who is this Yahweh? Because we each have different types of hearts. The Lord does not leave the answer to this question unanswered. In chapter 6, he answers this question emphatically. In chapter 6, he gives this answer five times. Uh, Two times in chapter 7, one time in chapter 10, and several more times throughout Exodus in the Bible. He says, I am the Lord. He gives us the answer. He shows us it through the Gospels. In fact, in Exodus 15, 3, I love this because the Israelites sing the answer to this question. They sing, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. You see, the answer to this question could be freedom for you. And when it comes to answering this question, there are only two types of people in this world, okay? We each have different types of hearts, okay? We might have oppressive behaviors, uh, hollow hearts, but there's only two types of questions to this, uh, two types of answers to this question today, and that is a right one and a wrong one. Have you answered correctly? And the fact that this question exists, it's why some of us sit idle, it's why some of us get angry, it's why some of us are impatient, this is why some of us are oppressive. God is showing us who we are, and he is showing that Jesus is our Savior, and that this question is so important in our lives. Through Jesus, you can join him in this reconciliation today. You can begin the process of becoming like him. And how do we begin this process? It's simple. It starts with our personal answer to this question. Who is this Yahweh? Who is Jesus? So what is your answer? Peter here, I want you to get this. Peter here did something we must all do. He answered correctly. He looked to Jesus and he said, hey, you are my Savior. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of suffering, idleness, we must proclaim and believe that Jesus is the one who has saved us. We must have the correct answer to this question, who is this Jesus? And here's the good news for each of us. Peter was so far from perfect. Uh, Throughout Peter's story in the Bible, we see him deny Christ. Uh, We see him cause division between the Gentiles and the Jews. Uh, He is no, he is not perfect by any means. And we can get all caught up in which type of heart we have, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if we are answering this question incorrectly. The solution to your heart problem is knowing who the Christ of God is. We have to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is the provider of our reconciliation, and we wait patiently for him to deliver us. As we live here on earth, our hearts can wander in so many different directions. As Christians, we are corrected, we are rebuked, we are disciplined. We can wander into idleness, oppressive behaviors, and into so many other evil behaviors. So God lovingly reveals our hearts. He shows us what's wrong, and he reconciles. And it starts with our answer to this question, who is this Jesus? So today, I just want to talk to maybe two specific groups today uh, in, in here. First of all, maybe you have answered correctly. Maybe you know who this Jesus is. You have answered correctly in your life, but you are currently struggling with doubt. I just want to challenge you this week. Bring it up with your life group. Talk through what is going on in your life. What are you waiting for? What is causing you to doubt? 
Secondly, maybe you have spent your lifetime answering this question incorrectly and you're ready to start answering it correctly. You're ready to step forward. I just want to encourage you to come find us. You can find us at the Connect table. Find me, find Ian. We'll both be in this room afterwards. Maybe you have spent a lifetime answering this question incorrectly and you're ready to step forward. He is your Savior and he wants to provide reconciliation. For each of us, I just want to encourage you, write this question down on a piece of paper. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Yahweh? And throughout your week, as you read scripture, as you uh, move forward through your week, as you have conversations, maybe God will reveal new things about himself to you and write down the answer. Do not make the mistake of thinking that your answer to this question is only one day of your life. Okay, we answer this question every day and in every decision we make. So who is this Yahweh? He is love. He loves you. And I hope you will turn to him today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just want to thank you for this day. Just want to thank you for this question that you propose in Exodus 5. Who are you? God, I just want to pray that we uh, live our lives answering this question. Whenever we answer incorrectly, whenever we have doubt, frustration, fear, I just pray that we will turn back to you, that we go back to who you are. You love us, God. You have provided us the salvation that we need. For our, I don't know what types of hearts that we have today. I just pray that we step into that, God, that you start to save our hearts, whatever type of heart that we have, that you will fix the brokenness. Just thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.